Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. On today's episode, we are joined by another one of our state partners to give us an update on waterfowl abundance, migration conditions, habitat conditions in their neck of the woods. And so today, that guest is Houston Havens, Waterfowl Program Coordinator with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, Houston, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, we also have in studio here my co-host, Chris Jennings. Uh, Chris and I are going to be Stepping through a little conversation with you, Houston, similar to the way we've done with some of our other state partners from uh, the lower portion of the Mississippi Flyway, Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, and Illinois. And uh, I guess the most logical thing, Houston, is to start off the way we've done with the others, and that is to allow you an opportunity to tell us about the survey, uh, how long y'all have been doing this and how you do it, and uh, then we'll, we'll get into the numbers and habitat conditions from there. Sure. Thanks, Mike. We, um, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks partnered with Mississippi State University in the early 2000s, and Dr. Aaron Pierce uh, did his doctoral research through Mississippi State on developing and updating a waterfowl survey method for the Mississippi Delta portion of Mississippi. Um, the, the need arose from that because our state agency and other state agencies in the past have uh, had typically done waterfowl surveys by basically just going out to known concentrations of birds, maybe the same locations in repeated years, and counting birds that way and comparing those throughout the years. But we know that waterfowl are highly mobile. They are adjusting to different habitat conditions throughout the season, even day to day a lot of times. And so uh, there was a lot of interest in improving that method, giving us more power to estimate uh, not just the areas that were being looked at, but be able to to go out and kind of get a representative sample of the overall Mississippi Delta and be able to to kind of expand and see um, an estimate of that larger area. So that project was developed uh, in the early 2000s, and we, we adopted that as a state agency survey method and have continued that, uh, have continued to build a, a great long-term data set that uh, actually we have another project going on right now with Mississippi State University, looking at the results from those bird locations, bird numbers, different habitat conditions, and, and trying to figure out how birds are responding, when they're responding uh, to these different weather conditions, habitat conditions, and so forth. But in general, basically, we we have the Mississippi Delta broken into four regions, uh, northeast, northwest, southeast, and southwest. And within those regions, we have GIS information that basically breaks down the entire delta into 250-meter strips running east-west. And those are our, our transects that we select for each waterfowl survey. We survey four times throughout the winter. Uh, we start in mid to late November, 
Um, then we do one in mid-December, which we just finished a couple of weeks ago. We fly what's called the midwinter survey that most states are still participating in uh, during the first full week of January. So we'll be starting that up again next week. And then we fly one more in late January, typically trying to pick up Mississippi's peak abundances of, of ducks and geese during that sometime during that January time period. And so uh, within those regions, uh, we, we randomly select east-west transects within those regions. Uh, we have a computer program that just continually selects those transects until it hits a target length. So Dr. Pierce's uh, doctoral work worked out the, uh, the math equation of, of the side of things to, uh, to let us know how much of a survey we need to do in each of those regions to get a, a representative sample of, of the number of birds that are there. So those are those are totally randomized. Uh, we put those on a on a flight map and then get up in the air, flying about 400 feet above ground, and it usually takes about three days to complete a survey with with good weather, uh, being able to to fly eight to ten hours each of those days. Houston, uh, I, you know, I grew up in Mississippi, and so I'm re- relatively familiar with the Mississippi Delta and the type of habitats that you're most commonly flying over there, but for the listeners that may not be that familiar with it, give us an idea of the dominant waterfowl habitat types that, that y'all see and that you, and, uh, and that you're counting birds in. Sure. So we, uh, every time that we do make a bird observation, we do record the habitat type into general categories. Um, the, one of the most abundant categories in the Mississippi Delta, of course, is going to be flooded agricultural lands. Uh, those are going to be your intensively managed private lands and even some on public lands. Also, moist soil habitat is going to be another abundant habitat and forested wetlands. Those are kind of the, the three main types, particularly when we're uh, doing uh, when we're observing mallards and other dabbling ducks. But then we're also looking at permanent water, things like lakes, uh, cypress tupelo breaks, that sort of thing. And then uh, aquaculture ponds is one that uh, people may not think about as contributing a whole lot of waterfowl habitat, but uh, particularly for diving ducks in the Mississippi Delta, uh, those old catfish ponds, aquaculture ponds are, are a really big source of habitat for those birds. And that's where we get a lot of those observations from. Houston, the agricultural crops in the in the Delta, we're talking mainly rice, at least when we're talking about those that are most used by waterfowl. It's going to be dominated by rice, but you're also going to get going to get some soybean fields in there, right? And any any uh, any corn across the landscape as well. There there is some corn. A lot of times when we're seeing corn, it is um, it's areas that are deliberately farmed for waterfowl habitat so they'll leave standing corn a lot of times we don't see a great deal of of corn fields that were harvested for agriculture and then and then reflooded so uh, as far as the production agricultural side of things we're looking at mostly rice and soybean fields okay and one other question here about the surveys i grew up in north mississippi north central mississippi that's out out of the delta but i did a lot of duck hunting when i was growing up and i uh, specifically hunted in the backwaters of some of the flood control reservoirs that are in North Mississippi. And uh, just want to uh, clarify here for folks that your surveys do not extend into any portion of the north central hills as that, that area is described. But really, it doesn't. they don't extend into any 
area outside the Mississippi Alluvial Valley or the Delta as we know it as locally uh, and and not even any surveys along the coast and those are just some decisions that y'all made as a, as a department based on where you uh, you knew from science and our understanding of waterfowl, the majority of the ducks occurred in the state, right? That's correct. You know, it's a, a trade-off when you're uh, looking at other areas to p- potentially put your, your time and resources. So uh, we, uh, we we definitely, um, like you said, through past observations, um, you know, most of the intensive management, most of the, uh, the waterfowl populations that are wintering in Mississippi are going to be located in that Mississippi Delta region, and so we, uh, we do focus our efforts there. There are other efforts that are ongoing, like Christmas bird counts, um, people using eBird, that we will look at that information a lot of times for those other areas. They're not being surveyed through our aerial waterfowl surveys, just to kind of keep tabs on that information as well. Hey, Houston, this is Chris. So can you kind of get into the 2019-2020 the survey that you guys just did what were the numbers um in the mississippi delta what what were the survey dates i think it was december 18th through the 20th uh what were the overall numbers numbers uh for our december survey were um we're looking at uh, the categories that we break birds down into first of all are mallards then other dabbling ducks diving ducks and then we of course uh, will report a, a total number and mallard numbers were um, a little below our long-term average so they were a little over a hundred thousand but um, not uh, not too low they definitely bounced up from our November survey and uh, we would expect just from past surveys for for things to continue to increase uh, as far as mallards and other dabblers go other dabbling ducks were probably the the more surprising number. They were pretty well below our long-term average for December surveys at 176,000 birds. Diving ducks were a little below average, but, but still pretty close to the average at a little over 100,000 birds. And then our total duck average, or our total, total duck estimate for December was just a shade under 400,000 when... Our long-term December average is going to be around 560,000 birds. So still room for some improvement. Um, Past surveys have showed us that our peak estimates for the Mississippi Delta are either going to come in the early January or late January survey period. So uh, with a little little over half of the duck season to go in Mississippi, we're still optimistic that uh, we're going to we're going to capture a uh, a peak migration during that portion of the hunting season. Yeah, and I'm kind of looking at the uh, the concentration maps that you guys sent out, and you know, it looks like that northeast part of the Delta is really like one of the largest concentrations. What what kind of leads to that? What, what do you think the cause of that is this year in particular? Um, does it have anything to do with the, kind of the long-term flooding, or or is it just that the, maybe the habitat was a little bit better in the northeast side? Well, the, the northeast portion of the Mississippi Delta is historically uh, our better area, um, no matter if we have low duck numbers or high duck numbers. And we believe it's a combination of intensive private land management on the landscape it's not any one particular property that uh that really is you know has that really dark red spot it's a it's a combination of people working together because ducks are you know they're moving around and sampling the environment even even in the local area um there's also quality managed public lands in that local area in the northeast tallahatchie county and southeast quitman county um, so birds have a lot of options. Uh, they have, you know, everything they need as far as 
food, cover, uh, and sanctuary uh, to be able to, to hold birds in that area. But in general, I would say it's just a, a large-scale uh, landscape cooperative among public and private land management there. Houston, one of the things that was probably most surprising to Chris and I as we were looking at these numbers before we got you on the phone is that you know, by number alone, you, you all uh, estimated fewer ducks this year this December than last December. Uh, that's, that's kind of frightening because we all know, how, uh, we all know the struggles that we had last year, uh, in terms of bird numbers across the landscape. Did that surprise you also, uh, when those numbers were actually calculated out? It did surprise me a little bit, but, uh, you know, after further looking into it a little bit, most of that, um, most of that difference is in the diving duck category. And, Diving ducks in the Mississippi Delta, I talked a little bit about this earlier, on those aquaculture ponds, that's a habitat type that is not very uniformly distributed. And so uh, kind of as a byproduct of those, those random transects throughout the Mississippi Delta, you can, you can basically look at the map before even going up in the plane and, and kind of getting an idea if your, your diver count is going to be higher or lower. A diver count in December of this year was actually a, a good deal lower than our November diver count this year. And it basically was just a function of, of where those transects lie. So um, not too concerned about that as far as comparison to last year. Our, our mallard count was a little higher than this time last year, and our dabbling, dabbling duck count was just basically the exact same as December of last year. So. Um, now, if we do not see an increase from here on, that that will start to be a little more concerning, I would say. Yeah. Uh, side note here, something that just occurred to me, um, it's, I obviously understand why this happens, but it's really unfortunate that these surveys uh, in this design don't extend back to, I guess we'd probably say the mid 80 or no uh, the 90s when that catfish aquaculture in the delta was uh was at its heyday because you know now it's i don't know what the numbers are and maybe we can have you on on some future episode uh, with some other guests to talk about the trend in that uh, catfish aquaculture in the mississippi louisville valley because i know from spending some time there at its heyday the Delta supported a lot of diving ducks, scop and, and other waterfowl, and it would be really interesting if you had the numbers to see how big an influence the decline of that aquaculture had on the numbers in the Delta. But uh, but this data set only goes back to the to 2007 and eight, and I think that was after the big decline in that, right? Yes, yes, uh, we um, we are still seeing some. They're they're going out of production, but not nearly like you like you spoke about. You know, in the, back in the heyday, we definitely. Um, have had a lot of a lot of turnover uh, since that time period in, in catfish pond production. The Ducks Unlimited Expo, May 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2020 at the Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth, Texas. Interactive villages, shooting, archery, dogs, fishing, kayak, canoe, 4x4 off-road tracks, ATV, UTV track, industry experts, demonstrations, exhibitors, and more. The Ducks Unlimited Expo, everything outdoors. The ultimate playground for the outdoor enthusiast. The Ducks Unlimited Expo. Visit www.duckexpo.com. Hey 
Hey, Houston, what are you hearing as far as uh, kind of hunter success throughout some of these areas? Um, you know, I have some some good friends who hunt in Tunica County, uh, Coahoma, Tallahatchie, uh, Quitman, and and they're, and they're they're all well. The Tunica guys, especially, are are really their numbers seem to be really down. Um, but everyone else seems to be it just seems to be really spotty for them. Kind of he ducks here one day, gone the next. Um, is that is that kind of what you're hearing all across the board? It is. Um, you know, it, it just depends on a lot of times what people are comparing it to. Um, we've heard a lot of comments about. Uh, maybe more the optimistic side of duck hunters who are saying um, it's better than last year. You know, that that's kind of a, a common, uh, but of course we know that, that last year was, was not very good at all um, overall. But in general, uh, it, just like you said, we have heard a lot of really good reports, uh, which is always good to hear. And then there are people who are having good hunts and then really bad hunts back and forth, just like you, you talked about. And that's kind of what we saw with this last survey was you know, there's a habitat, wetland habitat is in good shape, and it's it's gotten even better in the last 24 hours in Mississippi um, as far as habitat availability for waterfowl. But what we saw a lot of times were big concentrations of ducks on a, you know, a large ag field, but they would all be on one field, and, you know, then you would see other fields that, from from our opinion, you know, what we're looking at, they don't look any different, but, you know, they would have very few birds or, or no birds on those. And so um, it seems like maybe just that gregarious uh, activity, you know, birds just want to be in large concentrations has extended a little bit later than we usually see it. Um, we would expect in January for birds to start, you know, splitting off and, and getting into smaller groups, getting into those uh, those pair bonding type of areas um, that hopefully are going to distribute them a little more. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is just a, kind of a personal question for me. The I hunted in Tunica County for the last 10 years, and, um, you know, it always seemed like we really did well uh, for a few days following a big west wind. And I know just in the last week, we uh, picked up a pretty big west wind, and the guys I know who, who hunt Coahoma and, and Tallahatchie County started doing really well, kind of out of nowhere. Um, is that something that you even kind of look at the Arkansas survey and say, oh, you know, those numbers or that increase in numbers could could potentially just be ducks bouncing from Arkansas. Sure, yeah, we definitely are always interested in looking at surrounding states, what they're seeing, uh, talking with other biologists um, throughout the winter and, and seeing what they're observing. Um, but yes, definitely, we can we can typically uh, have an indication of you know looking at what the weather's going to do and, and what you know a state just to the north or, or northwest uh, like Arkansas, uh, what they're observing, and then and then hopefully uh, hopefully receiving some benefits um, if weather uh, is able to to move birds or continue to move birds from those areas. We can usually kind of kind of predict things a little bit better of what we might be seeing later on. Houston. I think the final thing that we wanted to talk with you about, it was certainly all over the news in Mississippi and many of the uh, many states in the Mississippi Flyway last year, but that was just the, uh, the flooding uh, that was occurring along the Mississippi River. And, and of course, uh, the flooding was extensive and incredibly prolonged in the Mississippi side of the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, and that relates to some of the hydrological plumbing, uh, you might say, down in that part of the state. And uh, remind our listeners of the significance of that flooding, how many acres were flooded at its peak, and then when did y'all see 
uh, those floodwaters finally recede. And then we'll we'll talk about the influence on waterfowl habitat after that. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the Mississippi River itself uh, had you know uh, very high levels uh, throughout the, uh, the spring and into the summer. Uh, but then, as far as Mississippi goes, the Mississippi Delta goes. Uh, people heard about the, the Yazoo backwater area uh, flooding down in the, the south portion of the Mississippi Delta. Um, so we did have extensive flooding there that uh, created uh, both. Uh, farming challenges, uh, just in that agricultural sense, commodity sense, and then also as a, a byproduct of that or the potential for a byproduct of that, um, a lot of that, because a lot of that land, agricultural land, was not farmed, then it was not available for flooding agricultural crops going into this waterfowl season. So uh, the steel bio water levels, uh, people may be familiar with that, uh, or what we're impacting, the Yazoo backwater area. That water stayed up over hundreds of thousands of acres throughout the summer. Um, it really got into mid-August um, on some of our even managed public lands in those areas before it started to, to fall. And so what that created was a challenge, a management decision challenge for uh, both private and public landowners as far as do we let this water, now that it's falling out, do we let it go and try to manage, you know, an annual producing plant like, you know, moist soil vegetation, grasses, and sedges, or do we just hold on to it because, uh, you know, it, we've got a really short time period to, to try to, you know, grow something and, and produce uh, seed that might be beneficial to waterfowl, or, you know, we can hold on to this and, and basically manage them as what we call semi-permanent habitats, try to uh, produce some aquatic vegetation, and and then also the the benefit of that would be to save on pumping costs. We wouldn't have to pump groundwater, you know, to, to start getting ready for duck season. And so an area like Mahana Wildlife Management Area in the South Delta, that's what we decided to do was just to hold that water. Uh, we did not feel like we had um, enough time to let it go and to get in to actually mechanically do any manipulations in those areas and get them ready to grow duck food before we started putting water back on them. And it uh, it actually worked out very well. Uh, really good aquatic vegetation response, uh, particularly delta duck potato. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of submerged aquatic vegetation started to develop in those impoundments, and and ducks responded. Even uh, even in September, the blue wing teal when they started coming through, they really uh, took advantage of those food resources and those aquatic habitats. And then has it has extended into the duck season. Now we've had some again high waters to come up. The Mississippi River is again high, and steel bio backwater um, has come up on Mahana WMA in particular, and and kind of moved birds out. Hopefully it's going to be temporary, but they've you know that water has come up and gotten a little bit deep for mallards and other dabblers to continue to use those habitats. But um, we definitely saw a, a great response. It was uh, not ideal conditions at all, and don't want to have uh, very many of those years. Uh, but uh, we were able to, to kind of adapt and to uh, continue to produce quali quality waterfowl habitat in that region. The the aerial surveys that you conduct enable you to view the landscape at a scale that's really relevant to waterfowl. We've talked about scale a lot on our on our episodes, um, and and that aerial perspective is really valuable. So coming out of that prolonged flood and and thinking about the likely impacts it could have on waterfowl habitat, uh, were there any things that you have seen at that landscape scale that might have 
uh, might have surprised you? Has it influenced Habitat in a in a way that you didn't expect? And one of the things that's coming to mind, I, I just find myself wondering about some of the green managed uh, green tree reservoirs. If if uh, entities have decided to not hold water on those places, uh, given the prolonged flooding or anything of that nature that you may have seen. Yes, that's a good point. In response to the spring and summer flooding on a lot of the forested habitats in the Mississippi Delta, there was a more conservative approach going into this season, um, deciding that maybe you know we don't need to intentionally manage water or, or intentionally put water on a lot of the, the timber resources that they are just coming out of an extremely stressful period. Uh, for example, areas like uh, wildlife management areas with green tree reservoirs or Delta National Forest with green tree reservoirs. Um, so water levels, at least as far as intentional managed water, are, are going to be, and we have noticed, are a little lower uh, than typical. However, I would say that a lot of times, uh, in particular an area like Delta National Forest, um, when we get extensive rainfall, we get a really wet winter. If we continue to get rains like we've had uh, recently, then uh, we would still likely get that natural flooding, what we call natural flooding, where uh, small interior delta rivers or, or creeks are getting out of their banks. Um, there's just nowhere for that water to go during those times. And, of course, we know that ducks are going to respond to that natural flood. Um, and if their you know, water levels are getting high enough to go out into those uh, those green tree areas or those forested landscapes in general, um, the month of January is typically when we do see ducks responding to those, those types of situations. So I would expect uh, to start to see that if we continue to get more rainfall. A follow-up question, and you may not be able to answer this with confidence, but based on what you've seen so far, would you say, would you guess that there are less food resources in the South Delta this year as a result of the flood, despite what you, you mentioned with uh, about Mahana and the positive response you had there? But given what you just said about the uh, forested wetlands um, and the, the inability to grow crops uh, and then post-harvest flood some of those in the South Delta. Is it your sense that there's maybe less food overall in the South Delta this year because of that flooding? Yes, I would say so. Now, we, we don't have any direct measurement of that, but just in general, um, looking at those areas that typically were, were going to be flooded agricultural fields, even harvested agricultural fields, um, basically uh, producers had just enough time after the water came down to go in and do their preparations for next spring, hopefully being able to get in there and to plant those areas. And so what that caused was basically a you know working of the land right before uh, it was basically time to start getting ready for the duck season. So um, water on the landscape, I don't think we've seen a, a really big change as far as that goes, but as far as what's underneath that water and for food resources for waterfowl, um, I would say, based on what we saw late summer going into the early fall, that those those uh, amounts are going to be you know less than what they normally would have been for sure. Yeah, I just have one other question, you know, regarding the survey, um, the goose distribution throughout the delta, the light goose numbers that you guys put out. It doesn't seem to be there's any major concentrations in any one area. They're just kind of spread out, and 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 I'm just curious if you're seeing fairly low numbers of geese. Or is that about typical for this time of year? 
about typical, maybe even a little bit high. You know, uh, looking at, uh, of course, there there are not numbers uh, reported with those distribution maps, and that's because geese do not like uh, us flying over the top of them. They're getting out and moving around a lot uh, on our aerial surveys, and so we're basically just marking large concentrations instead of, instead of trying to get an estimate because we would be double and triple camp, counting those birds um, the way that they move. But, um, yeah, those those large red dots that are on our distribution map for December for light geese, um, those are, you know, eight to 10,000 birds sometimes uh, in those different pockets. Um, mostly from the central delta north is where uh, we typically are going to see those birds, and that was definitely the case on this past survey. But, uh, yeah, I would say the, the snow goose uh, numbers, if they continue to build, are probably going to be um, maybe a little bit higher than normal uh, this year. Well, it's probably good for uh, light goose conservation order hunters then. Definitely, yeah. It's, uh, you know, this this rain that we're getting uh, this week, and I believe there's more forecast for next week, Um Probably going to continue to add wetland habitat across the delta. I'm going to, you know, put up both for duck hunters. And then um, as that water comes off at the end of the duck season, a lot of times what we see is geese will start to start to hit those areas that have recently been flooded. And then the water's falling out of them. They'll they'll get in kind of basically right behind the ducks in a lot of those cases. What would you say to, you know, duck hunters throughout the delta kind of to wrap up, you know, this latter half of the season, um, you know, what are you telling people who are asking like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think, you know, where, where are the ducks here? Or, you know, where are they moving? You know, any kind of insights that you would provide to someone who does hunt the Delta, what are you saying to them? The, the main thing that I would say that we've talked with hunters about more recently is this, uh, continually changing landscape and and really no matter the weather conditions of the the landscape is going to change and bird activities are going to change based on you know the time of year but uh, the biggest thing especially after uh, you know I keep going back to this rain that we that we've gotten over the last couple of days um, you know two to three inches in a lot of the portions of the Mississippi Delta uh, we would expect for birds to respond to newly flooded habitats that's typically what we see uh, both on the ground and through our aerial waterfowl surveys so telling people that not only birds splitting off and getting into more dense uh, habitats that we would normally see regardless of habitat conditions uh, also to, to start to look in those areas that maybe weren't flooded the last time you went out you know instead of uh, hunting those same spots over and over continually uh, trying to adapt to where birds are, are going the other side of that is we kind of talk about weather um, in a wintering state. We mostly talk about weather to the north of us because we're looking for you know weather to, to be pushing birds to southern latitudes, and we certainly hope that we continue to get that. But even in Mississippi, the weather that we have here, um, you know, we know that that is influencing bird activity. I've spoken with hunters just over the last week who were, you know, when we had more mild conditions, conditions are, are starting to improve here a little bit. But when we had those more mild conditions, uh, had a lot of observations from hunters saying that, you know, they had quality managed food resources, but birds were coming in in the evenings. You know, they were able to just kind of sit in, you know, areas where they were undisturbed or maybe dense habitats during the daytime and then just bounce over to a, a quality food resource at night and get all the energy they needed. So uh, that's that's kind of a thing that's overlooked a lot of times is when we get that cold weather snap here in Mississippi, it forces birds to have to collect more of those those resources to maintain their their body temperature and their you know just their physical conditions, 
And so um, hopefully we're going to get some of that weather uh, as we, um, you know, enter this last, last roughly half of the duck season here in Mississippi and, uh, and get birds moving around. Uh, we, we, we want to pick up more birds as we continue through the season, and we want to have weather that's going to cause them to, to move around. Yeah, these, these past few years have really emphasized the, the combination of factors that all have to align in order for it to be a stellar year. You need the bird numbers, which, influence, which is influenced by the weather and population size. You also need good habitat conditions, and, but sometimes you can have great habitat conditions. You don't have the birds or you don't have the weather at a local scale, as you just described, Houston, to, to cause those birds to increase their daily activities and acquire more resources. And so it's, it's an incredibly challenging suite of, of factors that have to align in order for it to be a stellar year. And, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm hoping we get some, uh, some colder weather here the last month of the, of the season. Uh, the, the next week I'm not too optimistic about, but maybe the, weather, uh, maybe the weather will turn around for us going forward from there. And of all those variables, you still have to go. Well, absolutely. You Can't get them from the go. couch. That's right. I've, I've – I don't think I've ever killed a duck from a couch. No. As, as hard as I've tried, <laughs> I've never killed a duck from a couch. Um, so uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, Houston. We greatly appreciate you joining us and uh, sharing your expertise, filling us in on how things are shaping up in Mississippi. And I believe this was the last of the states that are here in our close proximity to the doing these monthly surveys that we've uh, had to cover on the or wanted to cover on the podcast so we'll keep an eye on the numbers from each of those states as they uh, as they come out in january and we'll we'll probably have a, a few of y'all back on to, to discuss those as we enter the final weeks of the season so thank you so much houston thank you enjoyed it special thanks to our guest on today's show houston havens with mississippi department of wildlife fisheries and parks also thank my co-host in in studio here chris jennings as always, our producer, Clayton Baird, the Electron Warrior, as we like to call him around here for doing all the great editing on these episodes and then getting them out to you, our listeners. And to our listeners, we thank you for joining us and spending your time with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.